Hey, Sean, welcome to the show. Hey, Jeff, good to see you. It's been a while. And by the way, we were struggling to get on to this streaming platform for the longest time, so I appreciate you bearing <laughs> with me. I'm happy to be here. I'm glad we made it through. Excited to chat with you. Yeah, so, you know, you've had a long run at Drift. I'm curious about your time there. And, you know, I know you're about to make a transition, but I would love to maybe look, take a look back and say, look at all the accolades and things that you were able to do while you are while you were there. Cool. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's very nice of you. Uh, yeah, I just wrapped up five and a half years at Drift, um, which uh, I'm finding is like the, the mental timeline for me of, of when it's time to make a change. I spent five and a half years at a restaurant technology company called Upserve before Drift. And I just spent five and a half years at Drift. So very, very similar amount of time. And you know, I got to Drift, we're about 75 people, single digit millions in ARR. Um, and then, you know, basically was there all the way through our, our hyper growth phase. And, you know, we sold the business to Vista Private Equity for uh, at over a billion dollar valuation. And, you know, I left five and a half years later. So it was an amazing run, um, really spent a lot of time on every flavor of go to market operations that you can during my time there. Sales ops, customer ops, marketing ops, whatever flavor of of the name was at that moment in time but you know worked across all those different functions worked with some amazing people both from an internal go-to-market partners perspective as well as for folks on the operations team and so you know really really grateful for the time that i got to spend there what we were able to build and uh, excited for what's coming up next so my first startup i joined at sub 10 million as well we'd grown maybe five or six x over a two and a half three year period and that type of growth just puts tremendous change on your role and what you work on. I'm curious, yeah. in the early days, like, did you come in as a team of one? What was that? What were those early days like? Yeah. So my boss, when I got hired, was like the 13th employee. He was kind of the jack of all trades, did everything. He was operations in his title, but he led operations. He led CS. He did all different stuff at different times. Um, it was him and a Salesforce admin when I got there. That was the operations team. And so I was the first real dedicated, at the time, sales ops resource. And, you know, we had about 20 reps on the team. And I will never forget that I went to meet a bunch of the folks from the team before I started. It was like a happy hour type thing. And one of the reps I met, walked up to him, introduced myself. Hey, I'm going to be you know new in sales ops at the company. He literally gave me a hug. He was so excited because there was just, they needed help. Like they needed some structure. They needed some systems. And like normally sales folks are not the ones that are yearning for that, but it was definitely in a place where, where they needed it. And, and 20 sales reps is probably pretty late for what most companies do today in terms of investing in sales ops. And so um, the first dedicated resource there and then started to kind of expand into some of the other go-to-market functions over time. But you're exactly right. At that moment in time, it was trying to just keep up with the demand. We were a really heavy inbound business. It was, you know, PLG before it was called PLG. We had a, lot, a ton of, you know, free users that were really noisy, just people who wanted to put Drift and chat on their website, but weren't probably real buyers. And then we were kind of starting to sift through the noise. So some of those early days, it was about you know, how do you design firmographic scoring? How do you start to think about behavior scoring so that you're putting the right stuff in front of the right people at the right time and making sure that there was a whole bunch of noise and, and garbage that didn't make it to the sales team. So that was what we spent a lot of time on at the beginning. And, you know, as we grew, we went from when I got there, this really transactional business that we sold month to month deals for 250 bucks a month to incredibly small businesses to starting to segment the business, to start to move up market, and then moving into a world where, you know, by the time 
I left, it was a fully segmented. We were selling, you know, six figure deals for multi-year contracts that would have been completely unheard of at the beginning. Um, and so that is all part of the, the evolution that we saw. So I, I, a couple comments, amazing journey there. The first is, you know, five and a half years ago, the tooling around doing any of what you're talking about was very nascent, mm -hmm. probably had to do a lot of it offline and figure out how to automate it in your systems. And then finding out that eventually these became point solutions on their own. Second is moving up market. When you think about moving up market, right, you're talking about a whole new segment, a whole new set of DNA while trying to retain the culture of the business. What were some of the challenges early on working with, you know, your sales or your marketing partners saying, we're going to a whole new segment, whole new buyer. We probably need a whole set of new skills. Some of the reps that we have in place might be a good transition over to this new team. Like, what did that look like? Yeah, I think we probably should best to split those into, you know, internal considerations and external considerations, right? Like internal is what you just said. It's spot on. You might not have the right people. Right. And, and that's something I think that you have to really take into consideration before you decide to, you know, quote unquote, move to enterprise. Right. Everyone talks about it. You want to move up market as a SaaS company because that's where the bigger dollars are. and Customers are usually a little bit stickier, um, but you have to be prepared. And so being prepared means you have to have the right staff in place who can work with those types of customers. Um, their expectations are going to be very different post sale. And so you have to have the service offerings post sale to back up, you know, the dream that's being sold pre-sale. Um, and then you also need a product that can stand up to the requirements of an enterprise business, right? Things like APIs, certain integrations that, you know, might not have been as prevalent with your really small customers are going to be table stakes on the, on the high end of the market. And that doesn't even get into things like legal and security and procurement. There's a whole mess of stuff there that you just have to be prepared for. And then on the external piece, you need to be thinking about how your sales process is going to change, right? You're probably going from a world where you've got, you know, one to two stakeholders or decision makers at your comp at your prospects. Maybe your deals are, you know, pretty quick transactional, less than 30 days, you know, smaller average deal size, shorter time commitment, where all of a sudden you're expanding to buying committees that are going to have five, 10, 12 people on them. You're going to be negotiating for a longer period of time. You need to take into consideration what their internal procurement systems and processes look like. And so all of a sudden you've got longer sales cycles, more complex buying committees, and usually just more dollars at stake. And so everything about the way you're used to your business working is going to be different, right? So if you're an ops and you're focused on pipeline management or forecasting, like, guess what? Like everything that you are used to in terms of the rhythms of your business are not going to be the same. Um, and I think the last thing I would add is like, it's just spikier, right? You need to be okay with the fact that you have a longer time horizon to your experiment or your investment bearing fruit. Um, I think of it the same way as I would think about if your company were about to expand internationally into, you know, a new market, you need to go into it expecting that the productivity, the yield, everything you're going to get out of that investment is going to take a little longer than what like the normal run rate of your business is. So I think there's a couple of shout outs there. Segmenting the business is probably the first thing that someone needs to do in that situation. Otherwise, you're looking at blended metrics. They start to tick upwards and you're really telling the wrong narrative because those averages are really not fine tooth combing through the details uh, of the organization. You actually went from an inbound 
down market to an up market move, which I hear a lot about. But my first startup was the opposite. We were up market because our implementation timelines were 14 to 16 weeks. And we're ingesting data from all these different data sources. And so the only way to justify on a unit economic basis was to go out for these six, seven figure deals. That's the only way we as a business could be economically viable. In the long run, we actually started to go down market, but rather than going down market with a direct sales organization, we went through a channel or an OEM model, embedding our product in these other, you know, uh, these other systems. And so, yeah, there's always a different way of, you know, how do you go to market? How do you find that second ICP, that second target, whether it's moving up market or down market? I always think it's a little bit different. I do want to move to another topic. You talked about a tour of duty. I love that, uh, you know, you went CS ops, sales ops. Did you go strength to strength or were you kind of thrown into the mix to go solve some really sticky problems in the business? Maybe you had the skills, maybe you didn't. Tell me about that. <laughs> Definitely probably a blend of both. Um, you know, very much a believer in, you know, going after where the problems are and, and where you're seeing the friction and the inefficiencies in the business. And so part of that journey was absolutely just the fact that there was a need somewhere and we needed to go tackle it. But I think also, you know, we kind of worked our way down the funnel as we were thinking about our problems and thinking about the operations work that we needed to do. And, you know, it's probably not right, but CS usually gets the shaft on this type of work, right? And, and customer teams and post-sale work usually comes after sales and marketing work when it comes to just the operation side of it, the building of the planning and the execution and the insights that come for each go-to-market function, CS usually comes last. Um, and so part of it was, you know, adjusting to the needs of the business as we grew. And part of it was kind of working our way down the funnel. I do think that, you know, I talk about the tours of duty thing, not just from an ops perspective, but just from a customer facing perspective at Upserve, the company that I worked at before Drift, you know, I worked, you know, primarily the first few years there entirely in post-sale roles, onboarding, customer success, support, ended up running our onboarding and support teams there, and then completely jumped to the other end of the customer journey and ran our SDR team for a while. And so doing all of those different customer facing roles set me up really well when it came time for me to work in ops, because I knew what those gigs were like. I had real empathy for the work that they were doing. And I wasn't just, you know, the guy behind the spreadsheet. And so I would say the same thing applies for both, you know, the time that I was at Upserve and at Drift, that the more exposure I get, the more I had a better understanding of the type of work that people did. And it's a great way to build relationships with all those internal partners that you know you got to work with. So that's incredible. You've been able to work with these different personas internally. And at the same time, I, you know, we, you also have this podcast where you're a host, where you get to talk to all these different personalities, folks who've been in marketing ops, sales ops, rev ops, you've even had me on to the podcast and tell me a little bit more about your creator side, right? Like you've, you're also a host of a podcast like I am here. So I just do want to give a plug. I, I love the way you run the podcast. It's a little bit different. It's, you run this fourth wall thing where in the middle of the episode, you stop and you kind of Deadpool have a monologue and kind of summarize what's happening with the, with your guests. And I love that. So, you know, this podcast is a little bit different. Obviously we have a different kind of shtick. So I'd be curious to hear about your, um, your recent success with the, with the, with the operations podcast. Well, thanks. And you were a phenomenal guest by the way. Um, so I think the first thing is, as you're, I'm sure, figuring out with this show and stuff you've done in the past, like 
being a host is not an entirely selfless exercise, right? Like there is so much that I learn from doing the show. In fact, if you go back and trace kind of the history of the topics that we covered while I was at Drift, a lot of times the stuff that I was asking guests about was directly relevant to the work that I was doing or the problem that I had, right? Like you can look at, there's a, there's a moment I think where like two out of the three of our episodes were about professional services. And it was exactly when Drift was standing up our professional services arm for the first time, right? So I don't want to give people the impression that this is an entirely selfless exercise. I get a ton from it. The thing that kind of was the catalyst for it in the beginning was, you know, ops is not one of those jobs like sales or, or CS where you can, you know, look to your left and look to your right at work and see 10 other people who do the exact same job as you. It's incredibly rare, right? Um, ops teams are usually small. They're usually specialized even within those small teams. And so there's just not that many people who are doing the exact same type of stuff as you. And so the driving force behind starting the show, there are way more resources and shows now than there were when we started, but like the driving force was just to find role models and seek out people who were, you know, two or three years more mature than we were at the time at Drift, learn from their mistakes and, you know, hopefully skip some of the pain um, that they had gone through by applying the lessons that we learned. So, so that was the, the motivation at the beginning. And, you know, it's very much um, kind of exceeded my wildest expectations of the fact that people actually listen to it first and foremost. Uh, and the fact that we, you know, now 110 ish episodes in, um, have content on a lot of different topics. If people ask me about a particular function or a particular inflection point in a business, chances are, I probably have something somewhere in the library of, of the episodes that I can go back and share with them. And so, um, even though a bunch of years have passed since we started it, there's there's some concepts that are pretty evergreen. And so it's nice to be able to continue to share it out with people. And, you know, I still enjoy doing it now as much as when we started. So I think you recently mined all of your transcripts and made it indexable or searchable. Can you tell me a little bit yeah. about that? Yeah. Um, so this came from an idea, actually, a guy named uh, Drew D'Agostino, who's the CEO of a company called Crystal. And I was talking to Drew about the, the show and he was like, you know, like this is actually a really good use case for large language models, right? And like, I think everyone's trying to apply AI to everything they do today. And sometimes those use cases are legitimate and sometimes it's just people trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, right? But this is a phenomenal way, I think, for one, me to reflect on the earlier episodes, but also like who wants to listen to 110 episodes of show like from Colt? Like, nobody would, right? Um, and so, you know, at... 30, 40 minutes a pop times 110 episodes, if instead you can just ask the question you want to see if that topic has been covered by the show, that's a that's a great outcome. So we downloaded all the transcripts from every single episode, put them into this tool um, using something called Chatbase, super cheap. Um, but what they do really well is they ingest a whole bunch of different sources. So all the transcripts from the show and all of the different episode descriptions from my website are now embedded in there. And so if people want to come and say, you know, hey, um, what are the top traits uh, that you, you've heard guests talk about, about what makes for a good operator? It spits you out a pretty good answer and it reflects on, okay, this was the speaker that did that. And then maybe that will be a catalyst for somebody to go back and listen to that particular episode. But it gives you, you know, at least a little bit of a flavor of what the answer you might be looking for is. So uh, it's been really fun to build and, and people have reacted positively to it. Some wise words. I hope this same show gets past the 100 mark as well. I think we're going to be in episode 10 pretty soon. So pretty excited nice. to learn from, you know, the, 
from the, the giants of the business like yourself. <laughs> so you know, these, uh, these podcasts, you're sharing the transcripts, folks can access it, use it as a resource. And you just recently made a pivot to become an entrepreneur with two partners of yours with Minet Light Consulting. I'm curious how you see, you know, what opportunities there are in the market and what you can uniquely bring now as a new entrepreneur. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so, you know, first and foremost, it's really fun to be back in both an early stage from our own business perspective, but also working with early stage companies. I think um, it's really easy to romanticize or be nostalgic about what the early days of your company look like and people kind of forget all the painful parts of it. Um, but what it's kind of confirmed for me is I actually really do love it. I really do love this phase. And so most of the companies that we're working with are, are really early stage. They're just getting kind of the foundations of their sales team and their revenue team set up. And so, you know, we're plugging in on projects like helping them to define their ICP, helping them to refine their value prop, and then ultimately building out kind of the early foundations of what their go-to-market strategy and then ultimately executing that go-to-market will look like. Um, and like, there's a few things that I'm finding. One is that while there might be, you know, a shortage of, say, people who know what good looks like, who have seen a story like what I saw at Drift, that's actually not, I think, the biggest challenge right now. I think it's not only knowing what good looks like, but applying good over and over and over and over again, right? How do you build an operating rhythm in your business such that quarter after quarter after quarter after quarter you're able to both execute, but then adjust to the new realities of the business and build in the routines and cadences and operating rhythms that make that happen. So I'm finding like that's a that's a need and that's something that I think I'm good at and have experience in doing from, from Drift and other, and other experiences. And then I also think that a lot of early stage founders, you know, they want to get everything that's out of their heads and into everybody else's heads, right? And you know, I used to think of it as just like the transition from founder-led sales. Um, uh, a colleague of mine, uh, someone who I've looked up to for a long time, her name's Melissa Withers from the RevOp Fund. She said, it's not just founder-led sales, it's founder-led everything, right? Like it's founder-led everything in the business and that transition from them doing and thinking about every part of the business to getting that into the brains and hands of other people is, is riddled with, you know, potential landmines. And so that's been fun for us as well as to kind of help make that transition from founder-led sales or founder-led everything to a more professional go-to-market. So I'm enjoying the work. I'm enjoying spending time with founders and, and with these companies. And so, um, yeah, it's a totally different type of day-to-day -day for me, but I'm, I'm settling into it. It's so interesting. Many of the students who take my RevOps course or people I've been able to speak with, there's a number of different stories where they make that transition from founder led everything, which I love, by the way, to, you know, bringing in domain experts, right? So the failure of the team to absorb or transition from founder to the team members or not hiring the right individual or misfiring on the hire. That's a big, that's a big deficit. Whenever I see a team hire the wrong individuals, you kind of set your organization back a little bit in terms of culture, maybe even lost time. But when you do get those things right, and you allow these new folks that you hired to build up these departments, to have agency, to run with it, and you lose, uh, you drop off those training wheels from the founder. The founder is willing to step away and say, yep, you've got it. I think you can capably run the ball from here even further and better than I could have ever done as a founder. I think that's a hallmark of, you know, have you built your go-to-market engine correctly? 
And I think a lot of founders too, you know, they have, I think their preferred strength area, right? You could be someone who's more technical or more product focused where go to market's not, not, you know, in the top two or three things in your mind. Right. And so I think helping to kind of find the strengths and blind spots of, of folks as they're figuring out, you know, where they want to delegate uh, is also an interesting part of the exercise. So we're getting to the end of the show, Sean. I always ask every guest this, if you were to go back in time and meet your younger self, like what career advice would you give? Yeah. Um, I think the number one piece of advice I would have, and I think this, you know, has been illustrated by the work we've done with our show is seek out role models, right? I think especially earlier in my career, a huge mistake that I would make over and over is like, I felt like I had to be the person who solved the problem. And I needed to come up with like the novel solution that no one had ever thought of when in reality, like you and I do cool stuff, Jeff, but the vast majority of the work we do, someone else has solved before us. Right. And so taking a moment and recognizing that and then going out and seeking out the people who have already solved them. I think if I had known that earlier, um, I would have saved myself a, a bunch of pain. And so seeking out role models to me is, is the best thing that, that people can do. Get outside of the four walls of your company, ask people questions, and then you know, hopefully you'll learn something. Sage advice. So for the listeners out there who want to connect with you, how can folks learn more about you and connect with you? Yeah. So if you want to listen to the show, you can go to operationspodcast.com. Uh, if you want to engage with me and, and the folks at my new gig, you can go to minutelightconsulting.com. It's M-I-N-O-T lightconsulting.com or shoot me a note on LinkedIn. Happy to chat with any and all operators all the time. As always, Sean, thanks for coming on. Good to see you, Jeff. Thanks so much. All right. I'm stop recording.